0: Good to see you. Um, I imagine Jesslyn Duran is in the house somewhere, isn't she? There she is. I want Jesslyn to stand and uh, Jorge, her fiancé, they just got in this week. She's been working in Honduras as a missionary, so show your appreciation. <laughs> Amen. So we'll get a chance to talk to Jorge and talk to uh, the expectations we have for him. How's that? Um, I get nervous every time I get up here it just comes I guess with this whole calling um, for the second Sunday in a row I've got a sibling that has dropped in so the pressure is on my youngest sister Becky and her daughter Hannah are here on the front row and thanks for coming thanks for making me more nervous I really appreciate that uh, she says, I watch it uh, on stream. I said, that's different. That's different. Um, We're going to have a word of prayer here in just a moment. Some of you may know just by the uh, email that we sent out that late Thursday night, Mark Rogers' son, John Mark, uh, passed away. Uh, The cause of death is not known, but um, I made my way to his house, and it was during the sheriff's during the uh, investigator and um, and so an autopsy is being done down in Montgomery but John Mark was 42 years of age and um, Mark has already lost his wife an incredible person Linda uh, was really the rock of that family and he has never gotten over I know people say that but really and truly uh, she was the glue that held that family together and uh, I want us to pray for Mark. Uh, thankfully, uh, his niece drove in uh, from North Alabama and is with him. But um, he is he is shattered by this. And um, Larry Charters called me last night and asked me. And if you know Larry, this is an unusual request. He said, "Please have the whole church pray for Janice and myself." because she's battling Parkinson's had a a, really a a traumatic sickness to hit her and she's home she's uh, got hospice tending to her just because of the level of her Parkinson and um, we just need to pray for them would you stand with me and Larry Burdine is in uh, DCH rehab he is recovering from a stroke. But his uh, Parkinson is is the main battle that he fights. You know, I was was in probably one of the greatest meetings. You know, some of these things, I just uh, go reluctantly as a presbyter, and I thought, oh, man, an overnight meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, or near Atlanta. You know, that's not my favorite city. But uh, it was one of the most refreshing spiritual times that I can think of in a long while and one of the things they had us do is find somebody that we don't know i'm not going to ask you to do that but put your hand on each other's shoulders and pray so this is what i want you to do you're standing in somebody's next to you i want you to take them by the hand and i want you to pray for these families that really need a touch from god especially Mart rogers needs god's presence to invade his brokenness would you pray with me Lord, we call upon you because you're the help that we need. You're the strength that the weak need. You're the hope where there's hopeless. We pray, Lord, you'd feel Mark's brokenness with healing. Come and wrap mercy around him. Pour the balm of healing into his soul. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you never leave us nor forsake us. And you're there with him, Lord. He needs that. He needs that tangible presence of the Holy Spirit navigating through this pain. And, Lord, we pray for Larry and Janice. We pray, God, that you would fill their house even as we're praying now, that they would know that people are praying for them and heaven is being asked to come in a mighty way into their home even right now, Lord, and minister to her, minister to him. Touch Larry Berdine, and Jerry as well, Lord. minister strength to him but also Lord that you'd wrap around them in their uncertainties in the battles that they're facing to have peace of mind you are the prince of peace may you do a mighty work of healing in these families and Lord we welcome you to speak to us speak to us today speak to where we're at each of us are on a different place a different journey but meet us Lord where we're at we need you we lean on you. We trust you. May your word speak to us, Lord. And may we be open to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying. Well, if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, shame on you. No. <laughs> um, we saw it on the one of the first nights it came out, and I think it's still playing, which is a powerful testimony. Um, back in 2017, I'm not sure. You know, it's kind of interesting how churches can talk about going to movies. Dennis, you remember when that's a big no-no. You didn't talk about movies. You, you just avoided them. You know, that was like, there's only one thing worse than going to a movie, and that was to a pool hall. That, that was like the the next door was hell that that, that was as about as close to Hades as you could get is a pool hall, that was a big no-no but uh, movies even you have to fill out a, vis- uh, a membership card you promise not to go to movies can you imagine as a teenager and when you get into college how that can even more be a temptation because you're not supposed to okay, I might be confessing you or something but 2017, a movie came out simply titled Dunkirk. This is one of the most amazing things. They, they call it the Dunkirk miracle, and I went to see that. Yes, I sinned again. I went to see. <laughs> I went to see just because I love history and I knew a little bit about that. Um, it was in the summer, I think, uh, of 1940 year and a half before the United States was pulled in, after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, so it was mainly Britain, mainly Britain, and uh, France and um, I think Denmark and uh, Belgium, they had went in to defend France, the invasion of the Nazi army into France, and they ended up on this port town, port city called Dunkirk, 330,000, Soldiers among those four nations were within a reasonable sense of having to surrender. Can you fathom that? 300, I don't even know how the German army could process 330,000. It was an impossibility for them to evacuate using military means alone. So the word was sent out in England if you had a boat, if you had a boat of any size head to Dunkirk and a flotilla of primarily civilian people got 330,000 men off the coast of France alive. And that is the the great struggle there was this hopelessness. In a speech right after that, Winston Churchill walked into the House of Commons and he declared these words. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. There was no turning back for Winston Churchill the war is difficult to understand unless you could kind of review history and know that we were pushed into the war when Japan bombed Pearl Harbor it was the great struggle that Winston Churchill was honest with the people of England yes we're up against this, yes we're in a great struggle but we will never throw in the towel we will never surrender, it's not a possibility And he echoed those words. I don't know if he was really convinced himself, but he would not let the people know anything else, that we are in this to finish it. We will never give up. Whether or not we perceive the struggle around us, we are in a great struggle. We are in a world today, a time frame, socially, spiritually, you name it, we are in a great struggle. And following those famous lines of those who struggle and fought in Hebrews 11, the the chapter is called the Hall of Faith. All of these people that are mentioned. I want to take you to the opening words of Hebrews chapter 12. As it really replies back to that list of people that was named in chapter 11. It says, seeing we are compassed about with this great cloud of witnesses, there's this appeal for the people who are he's writing to is to be there, be there in the struggle, fight through everything, lay aside every weight, lay aside any sin that holds you back, get rid of extra baggage, and run with patience, run with endurance, the race that is set before you. You can't miss these two verses but when you get down to verse 3 you understand what the whole point was listen to these words this is out of the NIV consider him who you think they're talking about Jesus consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There's this call to engage in this struggle against sin. He said, You have not yet resisted. I want you to think about that word resisting sin, resisting, resisting the times that we're living in, resisting the ideology that we are having, we're surrounded by, resisting any inclination toward giving up. The qualifier in this resistance is the example of the Lord. He mentions Jesus in verse 3 as our example. Christ explicitly declared that he came to call sinners to repentance. I remember a radio program or TV program that that was years ago where uh, James Robinson Some of you might remember him, Evangelist James Robinson. This was before I think he had Pentecost, but he was a tough guy. He was a tough preacher. He was a hard preacher. And this TV audience that was just giving him havoc about being a, a bigot and hard, and somebody stood up and says, Jesus loved everybody, and they loved him. He says, yeah, they loved him enough they killed him. I think we have to remember that here is truth as pure as it can be in the person of Jesus and yet he was in this great struggle. He was opposed in this world that he lived in. He did everything right, never crossed the line, never committed anything wrong. He was here to reach people with good news, with the gospel. And there was people, there were sinners that repented that came to him, but there was people that absolutely hated him. As good as he could be, they still hated him. He explicitly said, "I came to call sinners to repentance." And he preached, he engaged in the issues of the day. He didn't dance around things. he didn't try to not stir the waters. He was constantly stirring the waters and are considering him, when you consider him, this is the writer of Hebrews, said, when you consider him, you ought to consider him in a way as to how you and I fight the battles that we fight in today. Let's remember, there is light, and there is darkness, and they don't get along. Light dispels darkness. Darkness prevails when the light is dimmed are shuttered off because of some reason why people even jesus said don't put your lamp under a cover lift it up let it become conspicuous and as we are the light of the world we're told we're the light of the world we're living in a dark world and they oppose each other it's interesting that he calls us to be in this conflict in such a way he says you haven't even begin to resist until you start taking some lumps and some bleeding it seems that the church today is more concerned in some ways about hurting somebody's feelings and not really speaking the truth and not really declaring the truth the gospel clearly points that there's only one person who saves it's Jesus there's only one that can redeem us Consider him who endured such opposition. I think we need to remember that he was opposed. And he was opposed by people who didn't think they were sinners, but they were sinners. The leaders of the high priest and the priestly group that was opposing him, isn't it kind of interesting? After the day of Pentecost, it does mention that a number of priests get saved. It's about time, right? They were collectively opposed to him. You only see an occasional someone like Nicodemus or Joseph Arimathea, some of the wealthy people, some of the people on that side of the equation, that side of the struggle, that actually personally believed, and they were hesitant to be public about it. They were private until he died and was buried, and they decided, well, we need to come clean. We are supporters of him, and Joseph got his body, and and Someone helped him bury the body of Jesus. But they were like private supporters, private believers because of the pressure that was on them. We don't call Jesus Lord simply as a title. We call Jesus as Lord because he is. He is Lord. And following him is not a metaphor. It is activity. When we say we follow Jesus, it's... It's not like checking off a box. It means we literally follow Him. We act out our faith. We trust Him, we follow Him, and we live out that faith. It's not a personal thing that we keep private to ourselves. God help us not to keep it private. Doing flows out of being. And being, I don't know if you need to be reminded of, but you're salt. You're absolute salt and you're absolutely light. But the salt has to be applied and the light has to be shown. So you have to, I know this is probably not proper English. You have to do salt and do light. Not just be salt and are you are you following me? The engagement that we have, we are in we are in a great struggle. If you if you don't believe it, just look at our nation. Look at what's going on around us. Look at the tension that's all around us. And the church is like right in the middle of this. The scripture says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but by him. And think of the warning that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 24. Just think about it when he's saying, listen, there's going to be troublesome times heading your way. You look at all these buildings; they're going to be wiped out, and they had all kinds of questions. Of when that's going. isn't it interesting? How often people are? When's that going to happen? Please do not follow people who say they figured it out. When Jesus is coming, there's all kinds of people like they've. I guess they're doing graphs and stuff and. You know, I I can tell you when he's coming back. He's coming back when he decides to come back. All right? That's okay. So why worry about it? Don't worry about it. Whether he comes back today, next week, or after we're all gone in the next generation of people, he's going to come back when he comes back. But he's telling them that you're going to face struggles, you're going to face battles. Think about something. He said there's going to be military ex- explosions that's going on. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be all kinds of military conflicts. There's going to be an epidemic of diseases. King James says pestilences. I think I've told you before, I thought for a while that that was like insects. You know, pesticide. It's a different word. I actually preached that. <laughs> More than once. Look at all the insects that's around It's a sign of the times we're living in. You know, the sad part about it, the people that I was preaching to didn't know any better either, so they just all thought it was insects. But the word means diseases. We haven't had any experience with unusual diseases, have we? And you go through this and says, well, that's happened before. I know. It's this struggle. The church is always going to find themselves in a struggle. It was a struggle in the 1920s. It's a struggle today. A hundred years later, we are in a great struggle. There's rumors abounding all around us that challenge us in our normal lives. There's going to be false prophets, pseudo-messiahs. There's going to be people claiming to have the only way to real truth. There's people that have a messianic complex. That's that's engulfing people into their ideas. Claiming government will save you. Government will protect you. Government will be your friend. Yeah. Government is not the friend of the church. I hope I can tell you that government is not pro church. It wasn't 30 years ago, it's not today. The church is separate from the government. I'm saying this because you and I need to drop our labels when it comes to politics and just follow the person of Christ through every decision we make and let him be the witness in our lives. Amen. Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, and boy, that's an interesting city when you review it. In chapter 5, verse 3, He said, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. There's this great struggle that we're in. We're no different from, like I said, the other generation. You think of the roaring 20s. You know why the 20s was so roaring? It's because most of the places alcohol was prohibited. And so when you tell people they can't do something, they knock themselves out trying to do it. And all of the mafia and all of the speakeasies and, you know, the 20s ended with the crash of the economy. So it might not be that we're very far from that happening. History's always fascinated me. It's been probably probably my favorite subject. Reading biographies, reading about the Wright brothers, that's a great book on the Wright brothers and uh, all kind of biographies but this name might ring a bell to some it might not William Holmes McGuffey born in 1800 I know you're very familiar with him he was the second of 11 children and he was tutored by his mother until he advanced past her abilities so she found a tutor that she hired, and she sent him, and she said, teach him ancient languages. And the kid just ex, just excelled. And at the age of 14, with his teacher's permission, his tutor's permission, he started his own subscription class for kids. 48 actually paid a fee for him to teach them and the reading material was basically from the Bible. As he got up older, became a professor in college, he wrote four reading books, and that's his claim to fame, the McGuffey Readers. And each book was harder than the previous one. And those four books, he died in 1873, but it's estimated by 1900 it's 123 years ago. By 1900, it was estimated that 100 million copies of his readers had passed through the hands of children in schools. You probably don't know much about them because they kind of phased them out because so much of the reading had Bible in it. What a powerful influence. I wish we had that kind of influence in our world. Somebody who's writing books that schools will say, by all means, send them here. We'll teach people how to read. But what a great struggle. Overwhelmed by everything else that's going on around his life, we, we are also facing struggles. We're facing battles. How do we respond to attacks on our faith, on the very foundation of our faith, which is the word of God? We trust the mercy of God. We trust His grace, right? He is gracious, He is merciful. He's not willing that any should perish, that all would come to repentance. He wants every person on this earth to know Him. For God so loved the world, the entire world, that He gave His only begotten Son. I love that passage in John where he says, and he is the propitiation. Don't you love that word? We use it all the time, don't we? It's a word for atoning sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. We talked about evangelism and, and witnessing personal evangelism in the Sunday class this morning. Every person, should have the gospel presented to them at least once because Jesus died for them he died for him, he died for her we can look them in the eye and say what he did on the cross he did for you and when he was raised from the dead he did that for you, it wasn't just for the ones who would believe he did it for the whole world past, present and future the cross and the resurrection Is our means to know the living God, irregardless of what time frame we live in. And this is the struggle we have. This is the test that we're involved in. Because if we're not careful, we will back off from doing some of the things that God has called us to do because we don't want to, maybe we don't want to get our feelings hurt. Maybe we don't want to have somebody snap at us. We have all kinds of teaching on apologetics. You know what that means, right, apologetics? is being able to give a defense of the gospel. But I think we ought to take it on the offense. I, think we ought, I don't think we ought to play defense, and I, and I understand that. But we shouldn't just play defense to defend our faith. We should be on the offense, preaching the gospel, declaring the Lord, who he is, to those that he puts right in front of us. We cannot stay on defense. Really, we must gather our entire will. You think about what he said. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the shedding of your blood. That's serious stuff there. The Holy Spirit was given to the church at Pentecost, and it was given to the church for one reason, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You will receive dunamis, power, to be witnesses of me in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the, of the world, to your next door neighbors, to your friends, to your co-workers. He says you will receive power to be on the offense. God, help us to be on the offense. We're well acquainted with the Great Commission. Go into all the world. But you realize the go is not even a command. It is is going. while going. Going is understood that you're going to be going. All of us are going somewhere. I don't know if you caught that or not. We're going. We're always on the go. But as you're going, as you're going, whatever you're doing, share the gospel. Teach them, preach to them this message. Let me go back to this passage in Hebrews. A call to engage our world like Jesus engaged the world. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Well, I don't have that kind of personality, Pastor. I'm sorry sure you do if you was like stranded on the side of the road you'd wave somebody down wave them down just be ready to give an account of who you are as God puts people in front of you throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us and here's the key fixing our eyes on Jesus keeping our attention on him the pioneer and perfecter of faith the king james says our faith and if you look if you have a king james ours in italics meaning it's not in the original manuscript he is the perfecter of faith and he is our example on how to live that faith out and he did not run from confrontation he was confrontational just by what he de- declared and preached May God put our lips on fire to share the good news with the world that is broken. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not back down boy do we have a generation that needs to hear good news and that maybe the Jesus revolution is a good topic to bring up because even though it was back in the late 60s and early 70s and some of us remember that some of us are old enough to remember that it was a move of God an incredible move of God that swept hundreds and thousands into the kingdom of God I just believe God can do it again God can do it again but he's calling us the church to not be out of that struggle to avoid the struggle to stay clear to not get in places that were uncomfortable he's called us to engage in this great struggle of people's salvation in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood We're not surrounded by a massive army like those people on the, on the city of Dunkirk. But we are surrounded by darkness and we're surrounded by deceit, we're surrounded by false teaching, by intimidation, by perversion. We, we are surrounded and we just kind of like maybe feel a little bit better if we just stay out of trouble. <laughs> but God wants us to engage our world, our culture, May he anoint us. I want our praise team to come up. May he anoint us with a fresh urge to engage our world with the gospel. Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured confrontation. I, I'll, I'll, I'm in the group that says, I just don't like confrontation. I just like to have peace and quiet. Just everybody everybody get along. But if people are heading in the wrong direction and we know they're heading in the wrong direction.